mouse trap. I guarantee it's the craziest trap you'll ever see. The first to capture everyone else's mouse is the winner. Just turn the crank and snap the plank and boot the marble right down the chute. Now watch it roll and hit the pole. Knock the ball in and roll it up top. It's the man, signal the man, the trap is set. There comes the man. Okay, now no shame on this question. How many of you have owned this game? Yeah, good. No, no shame. Now, now here's where there may be shame. <laughs> um, how many of you have never played the game because you were only you were the one that only liked to do the little contraptions? <laughs> I'll unashamedly say that was me. I mean, our family has found a lot of joy in, in doing that uh, game there. Uh, now, much like a very sneaky mouse who can rob a block of cheese one bite at a time, shame is also a very sneaky little thief. And while Satan can destroy, cannot destroy, he, Satan, just clear, cannot destroy our salvation and the salvation of those who are trusting in Jesus, Satan wants to use shame to distort our identity and to shackle us into a deep, dark place. Slowly, one thought of a time, shame robs you and I of our peace and joy. That's how shame wants to affect you. That's how Satan wants you to use shame against you. And he, shame begins its work deep inside of us where no one sees us. It's the places of our person that we don't want anyone to see, not even God. One thought at a time, shame robs us. And, and in her book, Rising Strong, I think Brene Brown, she identifies the truth about shame when she writes this, shame is a liar and a story stealer. I love that because it's so true. Anytime shame speaks to you, shame is lying. You, and that anytime shame speaks, we need to recognize the lie it's, it is and for what it is it's a lie and lies steal our stories that's what lies do they rob you of your story and no one not one of us i don't believe you really want to live a lie i don't want to live a lie that's not the story anyone wants to live but however lies steal our story lies steal the freedom that we so desperately want and that's what shame does Shame steals the freedom we have already been given in Jesus. And we're going to take back that freedom today. And it's not going to be easy. It may hurt. In fact, for some of us, it may hurt to take this journey. But God, I promise, will restore you if you trust his way more than your way. And that's what we're going to talk about more today. Uh, my name is Casey, and it is a joy to be with you in this room. Uh, it's a joy and a privilege to be with you uh, online, wherever you are watching. We're so grateful to share this time with you. If you're new with us in the room, I want to let you know that we have a gift for you, and we'd love to give you that gift right after today's service. So as soon as we end today's service and we dismiss, if you'll make your way, uh, exit out that back uh, door and go through our lobby. Across the lobby is a welcome center. In that welcome center, a host is going to be there, and they'd love to give you a gift for being with 
with us today. And while you're there, if you would allow, we'd love to share with you four things about who we are as Westside that we believe will be valuable for you to know. Also, if you're watching online right now and you're new with us, they're posting a link to a Connect card. Please fill out that form uh, and, and, and let us know that you're new and click submit. And we would love to send you a gift for being with us this morning. Now, Westside, would you help me let everyone that's watching online and those that are new with us in the room know how grateful we are to share this time with them? Yeah. So today, we are going to trap this sneaky thief of shame. And a sneaky thief who robs us of our joy and peace that comes from our freedom in Christ. And we're going to trap this little sneaky thief. And so we've been learning in the series, this big idea, and I want you to write it in. This is what we've been learning. We were not built for shame. We were not built for fame. So we were not built for fame or shame. We were built to glorify God and to be satisfied in him forever. Shame is not a part of your story. Fame, as we talked about the last couple of weeks, is not part of our pursuit in our story. We were not built for fame. We were not built for shame. But we were built for something else. We were built in the image of God. And when we recognize the image of God and pursue the image of God, that is when we glorify God. And when we are satisfied in that, that is when we'll be satisfied in Him. And when we enjoy all that God's given us, that's when we glorify Him. And that's what God wants for us. And that's what's best for us. Now, in the book of Genesis, we see that humanity was not built for shame. Um, in Genesis 2.25, a scripture that we talked about much as a church family, in, in Genesis 2.25, it's written that humanity existed at one point without shame. In fact, in, in this a narrative, it says Adam and Eve were unashamed. And it's important that we recognize what Genesis says right here because it's my personal opinion, and now this is not theologically uh, tested, mind you, it's my opinion, that everything written after Genesis 3-7 when sin enters human's narrative, everything written after that is a description of how shame destroys us. Because it's Satan's number one weapon, or maybe a number one weapon, against us. It's a way that sin wants to keep you and I hostage. See, I think shame played a huge role in Cain, Kill, and Abel. I think shame played a huge role in Moses not obeying God, going back to Pharaoh. I think shame played a big role in Joseph and his Hebrew brothers that sold him to be a slave because of what that situation was around it. I think I could go on and on, story after story, where shame was present in this. And I think shame is what is robbing you and I of our freedom. I think shame is robbing in you of in stealing your joy and peace that Jesus has already freely given to you, but shame is keeping it from you. It doesn't surprise me how Brene Brown's books resonate with so many people. Brene Brown, an expert on shame, writes much about shame. And she says shame affects all people because that's what it is. I, I believe it resonates with all people because it does affect all people. And according to Brene Brown's research, um, she, uh, she says this largely affects men and women differently. And I want you just to see this today. The two most common shame triggers for men are this, appearing weak or wrong. 
That for us as a, a man, why, this is why maybe failure is a trigger of shame in your life. That, that if, if you, well, you don't want to be put in a situation where you may fail because that might expose a weakness. And where you're weak, you're going to fail. This is why maybe being corrected triggers a shame inside of you. It triggers that shame inside. It's a sign that you're wrong. And the two most common shame triggers for women are body image and mothering. When someone says something regarding your motherhood becomes sensitive and you become protective and, and all of a sudden it triggers a shame inside. When you feel like your body isn't attractive, it triggers a path into this dark hole. The deeper shame takes you and I, the less peace we feel. The deeper shame takes you and I, the less joy we experience and the less joy we have. And the more you become a prisoner of shame. So how do we then identify if what we are experiencing is shame? Well, one of the things I've learned in my own story and how shame is keeping me hostage, I've learned this, that shame is present when I don't want others to see what I've done or what's been done to me. When I want to lie about what really happened because I'm afraid it will make me look bad. When, when I want to cover up something because I'm insecure about how I look. When I want to avoid this conversation because it will make me appear to be maybe a, a bad parent. Or I don't want to talk about this because it will expose me being incorrect or I don't know enough. When I don't want people to know what has happened to me because I don't want them to reject me. Many people have written about shame. Many people have given their definitions about shame and tried to define shame. And some of the most popular definitions of shame include that shame is the belief that we are flawed. They say, they say this and they encourage you, don't believe you're flawed. And when they write, they say this and they say, they say you're not flawed. This is not you. But I don't think... Believing I am flawed is a bad thing. I believe it's actually a good thing. I can't ignore the truth. And the truth, as I see in Scripture, and the truth that you need to understand through Scripture that is truth for us, it's clear that we are flawed. We are all sinners. This is what Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned. And look what it says here. And fall short of the glory of God. You know the reality is, is every one of us, no matter how good you are or how perfect you try to be, we are still imperfect, we are still flawed. And it's good to accept that you are flawed. It's good to accept that you are imperfect. It's good to accept that we all fall short of the glory of God. You know what the glory of God is? The glory of God is the image of God. That's the glory of God. And you and I fall short of the image of God. This is human 
our humanity, and it's a narrative of our humanity. And it's good to accept that we all fall short of the image of God. We fall short of the glory of God. See, in this, the image of God we recognize is broken in all of us. And that's the truth about who we are. That's the truth about your story. Yes, we are flawed. And knowing you are flawed is so important to experiencing true freedom. The true freedom that Jesus wants you to freely receive. So yes, we're imperfect. Yes, we are flawed. We are broken. And yes, we desperately need a Savior. And accepting that we are flawed and broken images uh, become life-giving when we know that Jesus restores our imperfect, broken, and flawed image. That's what Christ does. So all that to tell you <laughs> what I like, how I like to define shame. I believe shame is this. Shame is the deep sense that you are unworthy of love and belonging because of something you've done something done to you or something associated with you. Shame is this deep internal pain that I feel from being flawed or imperfect and then believing because of this flaw or this imperfection that now I'm unworthy of love from someone else, much less God, or unworthy to be connected with someone else, much less be connected with God. And this is why some people don't feel like we can be forgiven. This is why some of you struggle with you being yourself being, being forgiven. You don't believe you deserve to be in a relationship with God. Because that's what you're saying when you don't deserve to be forgiven. Because I don't deserve to be in a relationship with God or be in a relationship with others. And shame is believing that because of something I've done, I'm not good enough. Shame is believing that because of something that's been done to you, now you are not worthy of connection with others. Or shame is believing that maybe because of something that is associated to you, because of the family you're in or the, 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 the situation you're in, that you are now unworthy of love and connection. And this is important to know. See, this is why we're exposing shame because shame is why you are going to hide your insecurities. Shame is why we all hide our insecurities. You don't want others to see you being wrong. You don't want others to see you being weak. You don't want others to see you being a failure because if they saw this and knew this, they would think you're not good enough to belong with them. If you look out of shape... Or don't have the trending clothes, you will not be accepted. If they knew what you did, or if they knew what happened to you, they wouldn't want to be with you. And we even hide our insecurities from God. Now with what time remains, we're going to address the shame that we feel because of what has happened to us. Next week, we're going to address the shame that we feel about what from the things that we've done that were in our control that we did do or we did not do, okay? But today, I want to address the shame that we feel because of the circumstances that are outside of the, our control, the things that have happened to you, um, that, that, that have happened, um, that, 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 that have been said about you. 
or maybe um, that are associated with you. The shame that comes from what happens to you that you want to hide from those around you. The shame that comes from what life brings you and the cards that are dealt to you, the circumstances that you're in that you cannot control. The shame from the home that you grew up in, the shame that comes from the body that you've inherited and you have no control over that DNA. (laughs) You didn't get to subscribe to the other one. (laughs) The shame that comes from what someone did to you, someone said about you, or even forced upon you against your will. See, all of these things create deep, deep insecurities in each and every one of us. And when we seek to hide where we are insecure, that is when we can identify that shame is present. And I want to look at a story from Genesis, and we're going to go to chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there. And here we see Abraham, or before he's renamed by God by Abraham, his name is Abram, his wife is Sarai. And they, God just told them a few chapters early in the verses earlier that they are going to have a son. 90 plus years old, mind you, they're going to have a kid. And the reason they're going to have a kid is because they've been barren this entire time. And this point in the text, at this point in the text, the promise had not come to fulfillment. We're going to see how long here in a second. And I want to read here in verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now just let me tell you, just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's okay. I say that because some people believe that, okay? Um, The reason we have these stories is because these are very wrong things to do. (laughs) Very wrong things to do. Okay, so, Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram, look at this, had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. So there's shame all over this story. Abram and Sarai were barren. This was their plight in life. Can you imagine the shame Abram and Sarah carried? And we don't maybe understand this as much in our culture, but some of us do. The shame of not having a child, being able to conceive a child. In that culture, there was a cultural shame and dishonor that people suffered because of this. And, and check this out. Can you imagine how long they dealt with that? And know this, they had been now living with an unfulfilled promise for 10 years now. God, 10 years earlier, said, I'm going to give you a son. And now, in their old age, they've been waiting 10 years longer. I don't know about you, but 10 years is a long, long time. And if you haven't realized by now, God doesn't care about your schedule. (laughs) He has his own. And it's so much better. So that is Abram and Sarah and their their shame. We also read about Hagar. Now, Hagar we see as an Egyptian slave and there's shame all in this story. The reasons why she is a, a slave remains unknown. In that day and age, it was likely that a family member owed a debt and, and becoming a slave was the payment for that debt. Sometimes the entire family would become a slave. 
So likely, Hagar was not in control of becoming a slave. This was likely forced upon her an extremely shameful experience. And now, she's forced in this very awkward situation, a sinful situation. Like, she doesn't even know if she probably should enter this relationship with her mistress, her, her master's wife, husband. And in this moment, shame begins to work. And shame does something to us. Shame causes us to justify our sins that cover our insecurities. Sarah, Sarai justified the sin of Hagar sleeping with her husband Abram to cover up her insecurity of being barren. The deep pain we feel will cause us to justify doing what we know is wrong in the fear of the truth being exposed. Or we want to rush God. We want to make it our way. And, and so what we'll do, we'll justify another way. Because we want something so bad. Verse 4, when she knew she was pregnant, Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you're responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Hagar now pregnant, and something happens to Hagar. Maybe she didn't want to be in this situation. Maybe she thought this was now redemption for all her past and all the trouble she's been in. And now she expects some different things. We don't know, but regardless, we see that she despises Sarai. Her shame provokes something in her, and that's what shame does. See, shame provokes jealousy and envy. We see it in both Sarai and in Hagar. Jealousy is a joy thief. Envy will rob us of our security. Envy will rob us. Jealousy is believing what others have is a threat to you. Envy is believing you deserve what others have. And both of these will rob you of your peace and your joy and cause shame. It's a product of our shame. See, shame is the absence of our peace and our joy, and this deep pain causes us to be jealous. It provokes this jealousy and this envy of now what others have. After all, we think they're just as messed up as we are. We deserve to have that. Why should they have all of that? I'm better. I've, th- th- if they only knew my story, I deserve this. And then shame does something else in us. Shame points the finger. See, shame points a finger of blame to keep others from seeing my shame. See, shame points a finger of blame because I'm fearful of exposing what's inside. And when we feel shame, someone else we think has to take the fall, don't we? Someone else has to be wrong. Anyone but me must take the blame. And so to hide my insecurities, to hide my flaws... I point my finger at others to get other people to see the speck in someone else's eye so they don't see the plank in my eye. <laughs> Sarai here points the finger at Hagar and Abram and says, Abram, this is your fault. And this is how, you remember the creation story, Eve points a finger, Adam points a finger at Eve, Eve points a finger at Satan because we're not going to take the fall. We point the fingers at others. And why do we do this? Because we want to keep others from seeing where we're insecure. This is how shame destroys us. 
And we continue. Verse 6, your slave is in your hands. Abram said, do with her whatever you think is best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar. So she fled from her. Not only does shame destroy us personally, you know what shame does? Shame destroys the relationships that are best for us. See, not only does shame just internally rob you, shame will cause you to rob the peace and the joy of those around you. This is what Satan wants shame to do to you so you can destroy the joy and peace of those that are close to you. Satan wants your shame to make you separated from God, wants you to feel separated from God, and shame, Satan wants shame to make you feel separated from others. See, shame, Satan wants to use shame to isolate you from the community you need, the relationship with God, and the relationship with others. Satan wants your shame to cause jealousy, envy, and blame. And because if you can be jealous, you can be envious, and now you can begin to put blame on anything else but what is where it should be. When you begin to do that, you're going to push God away, and you're going to push others away. Satan wants shame to destroy you and the relationships that are close to you. But God does not want this for you. God didn't want this for any of our story because we were not built for shame. We were built for so much more. And God didn't want this for us. God did not want this for Hagar. And so read with me what God does. The angel of the Lord found Hagar. The angel of the Lord is God himself found Hagar near the spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road of Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? Interesting here. He calls her out. He calls out her insecurity. Look at this. Slave of Hagar. Slave of Sarai. Hagar, slave of Sarai. (laughs) Calls out her shame. Where have you come from? Where are you going? Don't start singing that song. (laughs) Just dawned on me what that connected to. (laughs) Similar to the question God asked Adam and Eve in the garden. Where are you? Where are you? You're lost. Where are you? Why did you leave? To where are you running? And she says, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. And some of you need to underline this name. Some of you need to memorize this name. Some of you need to put this name on your mirror so when you see this, this is the first thing you see before you brush your teeth. This is something maybe some of you need to put as a wallpaper on your phone. This is what she said and gave the name, this name to the Lord, the creator of the universe. You are the God who sees me. You are the God who sees my pain. You are the God who sees my circumstances. You are the God who sees all my flaws and all that has happened to me. 
You've seen what everybody said about me. You have seen it all. And when she recognized that God is the God who sees, she was restored. She was restored when she knew God saw her. That is the moment she found peace. God spoke truth into the lie that she was believing. God spoke truth into her story. And here's the truth. God wants to speak into your story. God wants to speak into the lies you're believing. It's this, God sees you. God sees you and he sees everything that has happened to you and he still loves you. He still loves you. Some of you believe that because of what has happened to you, what's been said about you, or what others have done to you is proof that God does not love you. That is a lie. God sees you. And God sees everything that has happened to you. And you need to know that he still loves you. What has happened to you does not mean God has rejected you or will reject you. Shame is a liar. It is a story stealer. That is not your story. You were not built for shame. You have a freedom story that is so different. You don't have to be insecure with your flaws. See, you can, be in, you can be secure and shame-free because you know that God sees and loves you. I am secure and shame-free because I know that God sees and loves me. Nothing that has happened to you will keep God from loving you, and nothing that is associated with you will keep God from pursuing you. Know this. Hagar's story is your story. Hagar's story is my story. It is our story. And there's one more story I want to share with you before we close. And it's a story of a woman who had every reason to carry shame. Her shame kept her isolated and disconnected. Her shame was not from something she did, but something she inherited. It was something that had happened to her that was nothing that she chose or wanted in her narrative. It was outside of her control. It made her feel insignificant and she had to live invisible. People saw her as religiously unclean. People would not get around her because if they touched her or she touched them, they would become religiously unclean. Not a label any person would want to have. We read about her and it's described a large crowd followed and pressed around Jesus. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal. She had suffered a great deal. See, she didn't just suffer physically. All her, though her body suffered. She suffered emotionally. She suffered relationally. She suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. And she spent all she had. She wanted to be set free from this. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she had heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his cloak, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? 
You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched you? Jesus, you're crazy. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came, fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him what? The whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Go in peace. Be free. Not just from the suffering in your body. The suffering that has been inside for all these years. See, this woman was ashamed of her condition, but now she's healed and she no longer has to hide from people. And, and, and so, you know what? Shame will keep you from something. Shame will keep you from exposing the truth about you. Shame will lie to you. If they only knew this about me, they wouldn't want to be with me. You know, if she would have exposed the truth in this moment, she would have had to confess that she touched all of these other people. And Jesus, let me just think about this. Jesus could have stopped and he, he could have just kept on going and let her body be whole, let her body be healed. He could have just kept going and thought in that moment, you know what, man, I'm so, this is, yeah, she just found freedom and it could have been good. But that's not what she needed. She needed more than that. See, Jesus stops, takes the time makes a whole lot of time and makes the space, makes it awkward. So awkward. The disciples are awkward and she knows it was her. She knows he sees that it was her. All for one reason. Jesus wanted her to speak the truth because the truth would lead to her not just her body being healed, but completely being healed. She had to trust that Jesus saw her and she had to trust that confessing the truth to God in front of all of those others would free her and heal her, not just from her body bound in a terrible disease, heal her of her soul bound in shame. See, I want you to know this today. You don't have to hide the truth when you trust that God sees you and still loves you. You do not have to hide the truth when you truly trust that God sees you and still He loves you. You can be honest about what has happened to you because you trust in the healing and the freedom that Jesus gives you. See, when I trust in, my trust is in Jesus and I know who I am in Him, I know my identity is not in what has happened to me, what others say about me, or anything that I've done or I'm associated with. I don't have to hide the truth of Him. I can now, I don't have to hide truth. You know what I do with that? I stand on that truth. I don't have to hide it anymore. Truth is not something we need to hide. It's something we can stand upon. But we believe the lie that telling the truth will hurt us. It's not going to help us. And this is the lie that your enemy of your soul wants you to believe. Because your enemy wants to destroy you and destroy everyone around you. 
And this is the lie that'll keep you captive. But the opposite is true. Yes, exposing the truth can hurt, but it will heal. When you know that God sees you, still loves you, and pursues you, you can trust Him and you can be honest with Him. You can expose the truth. You don't have to fear the truth being exposed about you. It may hurt to bring that up. I, I understand this. But that will also be what sets you free and brings you healing. Maybe this is why some of you don't want to share this with a counselor because you fear that it's going to hurt more than it helps. Yes, it's going to hurt, but it will heal. Maybe this is why you're afraid to share this with your spouse or even a close, trusted friend because you're afraid it's going, to, it's going to hurt more than it helps, but it's not. That's the lie shame wants you to believe. So I want to ask you today, what truth are you keeping from God? What are you trying to hide from him that he already sees and he already knows? What has happened to you? What is associated with you or what's been done to you that you don't want others to see? What are you afraid of? Just like this woman trembling with fear, afraid of exposing the truth about her. What, if you're, what are you afraid of that if people saw this part of your story, they're going to reject you. They're not going to love you or even God's going to reject you because you believe a lie that he does not love you. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of exposing? Because you're afraid it's going to hurt you more than it heals you. See, your freedom that you seek from your shame is not living a lie, but it's confessing the truth and being honest with God and with others. Not all others. Don't have to share this with all others. But sometimes it's just at least with one other. So will you trust the truth will set you free? Will you trust that God sees you and God loves you? Because when you're secure in God's love for you, you won't be ashamed of what's true about That's when you're going to experience God's peace and joy when you are secure in God's love for you. See, I am free from shame because God sees me and he still loves me. This is my story. This is yours.